0: you're listening to the pkj and yahweh podcast where i take the supernatural world around us connect it to complicated biblical theology and then try and make it simple for everyone to gain revelation if you're new to this podcast and would like more information please go follow me on instagram at kevin.scott.johnson and now time for another episode from our apologetic series Today I'm actually pretty pumped. I've got a friend with me, so this is this is gonna be a little different and and a little new. I I'm kind of gotten into the routine of the solo cast, <laughs> and it's uh <laughs> it's it's fun. I do enjoy talking. Uh, it's I mean, good thing I'm a pastor. That's what we do for a living, right? So yes, sir. <laughs> but um, so with that, uh, I we're talking on the content the topic of predestination. I, I was something I talked about a little bit. Uh, in my episode that released Thursday this week, uh, depending on when you're listening, last episode uh, that goes through the omniscience of God. But this is now taking more of that direct approach of uh, the topic of predestination. Now, that's a really broad topic. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's super broad. And so there's so many branches. It's It's like you could go down through so many avenues. So our mm-hmm. hope is to uh, is to try and come at it with one approach um, that will probably go down a few branches, but try and keep it from being too much of a, of a shotgun scatter blast. But yeah. without any more further delay, I just want to introduce my friend and co-host for the day, uh, guest on the podcast. We've got Adam Parker. He's an oh. amazing youth pastor up at Cisco Heights Community Church in sure. is that Arlington? Yep, over in Arlington, Arlington, Washington, yeah. and. And so uh, he's been doing a great job. He moved down here from Minnesota a few years back, right before the whole pandemic came on. And, you know, and man stepped into youth ministry here in the Pacific Northwest, which was ground zero for, you know, COVID patient number one in the States. So I applaud you for not only starting right before the, you know, crap hit the fan but like enduring and thriving and growing you've really taken that youth group to another level
1: yeah it's been really fun really fun seeing what god can do absolutely so 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 adam uh you know thank you for joining
0: us i've had some fun theological uh apologetic discussion with you in fact one of the things that kicked us off um even a little while back was you were telling me how you were taking this vein of apologetics in your youth ministry and i was like so inspired by that, so impressed. And in fact, we we also took a avenue of apologetics for mm-hmm. uh from about September last year until just the last uh about the last month or so. Yeah, uh addressing close upwards towards like 88 different topics, you know, yeah. um throughout that time. And and I love it because our kids are thriving, um, are not thriving, our kids are 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 needing our kids now are starting to thrive, but our kids yeah. definitely need that fundamental right of of the truth that like i feel like we have a generation that wants to know what is where is the absolute no where's the absolute yes like Mm -hmm. in a world that has no boundaries they're starving for boundaries and and though it doesn't sound like they want someone to come tell them no you can't do this like there is that inner inside desire to have limits Right. right and to know what those are and know what ones you can push. And so I, I applaud you for taking that, yeah. that vein. And, and I, I hear it help blow your youth group up, like in such a good way. So Adam, why don't you go ahead and like, uh, I won't take a any more talk time at this moment. Like, like, hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Why, why, why are you, why are you here today? What you've done? And yeah.
1: Yes. So yes, I'm the youth pastor over at Cisco Heights Community Church. And I really believe that apologetics is a huge way that we can reach the youth of this generation, not per se, when it comes to, Oh, I'm going to convince this atheist youth to believe in God, not necessarily in that vein of it, but it's, it's a matter of training and preparing and discipling the youth that we have. And so I've been interested and peaked and and really diving into apologetics, I would say, really since I really started going after the Lord after getting saved at a church camp. And uh, I I actually have a blog site. It's boldapologia.com. I don't have a lot of writing on there, but I have some pieces of of writing. And when I have time, I throw something up there. But uh, that's the extent of my outside of church apologetics engagement. But um, I would say that in particular <clears throat> with with the youth ministry, a lot of initial growth did happen with apologetics being uh, one of the first things we dove into. And I really, all I did was I, and I kind of figured this may be something they'd be interested in, but I threw out a bunch of different topics and almost unanimously they wanted to learn <clears throat> apologetics, and what that tells me is there is a hunger to know not only what they believe, but why do I believe this? Yeah, and and it's the why questions that youth have mm-hmm. that I believe, unfortunately, the church has bombed in the past. Sure. Be- yeah. Why would you question that? Why would you question the Bible? It has mm-hmm. has been a genuine response from some people in the past out of maybe they have a great honor for the word of God. And then, so therefore you can't ask those questions. You you, you can't question it. And to give kids, especially in this post-Christian world that we live in, uh, you know, and what I mean by that is, is Gen Z is the, is the first generation. It's post-Christian and we're moving into this really secular environment Kids are born into a largely secular environment in America, mm-hmm. and they're going to be asking why questions. Why should I believe that? Right. Especially kids in the church because they are bombarded. And if they go to public school, they're being bombarded with different doctrines. It's, it's, it's overwhelming yeah. at times for some of these youth. And so uh, what really excites me about today's topic is... Um, I got saved at summer camp radically, uh, from going to being this suicidal teen to on fire for Jesus. And we went into uh English class in, in my freshman year in high school. And, uh, what the problem was with that for me is we were learning about the Puritans mm. and the Puritans, they have a really, uh, I like to say peculiar doctrine on predestination. Okay. Uh, essentially. Um, and this isn't to bash the Puritans mm-hmm. per se, because there's some really great spiritual principles that they have sure. uh, propelled even into these days. And there's really great writings, but Puritans, right. Um, for, for those <clears throat> maybe that don't have the, uh,
0: the language that, that we're using at this moment, just it, for whoever might be listening, when we're saying predestination, mm-hmm. what what is it that you and I are
1: communicating, basically? Just so let's like, yeah. unpack
0: that word really quick,
1: so then we can yeah. continue on the period Well, yeah. So so by predestination, I would say that what we mean is a event or uh, a cause by God before time began, God determining something would take place. Right that is it was destined to happen before anything started that 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 is how i would put it yeah and and so like with with the puritans their their view of predestination it's it's really peculiar it's it's what some would call in theological circles double predestination where in terms of salvation you're either predestined for heaven mm-hmm. or you're predestined to go to hell. Wow. Yes. And so that's a very... And I'm trying to be as fair to the Puritans sure. as I can because Absolutely. there's been some great revivals in in the Pur, in, in Puritan times. Sure. But what I would say the problem with that is that why would God predestine people for hell? and And that doesn't appear to be within the character of God. And so um, not only that, but I'm learning about the Puritan writings in a secular school. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to give the Puritans a break. No, they're going to say all of the worst possible things. (laughs) Absolutely. Exactly. And so I'm sitting in this class and I'm learning about what the Puritans believed about predestination. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm appalled, Mm -hmm. you know, because this is not the God that I met at that altar that Mm. summer. Right. Th- th- this does not sound like him. Um, and yeah. so my interest in this topic of predestination has been, I would say, as long as my walk has been with the Lord, mm-hmm. because it, it, it matters to me. Um, and, and there are so many different views within the family of God when it comes to this. right? And I would say that, in terms of how we continue on with the discussion in the church, it's very important that we engage this because the world on the outside looking in, they're going and reading the Puritan writings and they're picking mm. out the craziest possible things. And so it's so important for us to understand what we're saying and and make sure that we're being clear of what we're saying and engaging it and knowing it because the world is taking a look at it and they're getting some crazy wacky ideas about what we believe oh
0: yeah well i mean they start we really need to defend and i think it's so important to have that is what apologetics is 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 really to be equipped to defend our faith you know and when it comes to the concept or the topic of predestination it it is evident that there is biblically uh a a ground to build that there are events that are predestined yes sir um but then to take the approach that then says all events are predestined like that, that's where it starts to get very muddy, very quick. And people Definitely. get into the, uh, hyper grace concept of like, well, yeah. God knew I was going to m- make this decision. So like, right. Hey, like he, and he's already forgiven me and I'm a believer. So like, I really don't even feel bad for what I did, you know, like and, exactly. and there's these, these concepts. And, and also and it's, it's amazing. I, I had a friend, um, uh, a friend uh slash um business colleague in social media marketing he was part of the uh, Christian marketers coalition it was great and so we did a lot of social media stuff and i met him uh and and he is is more from that side of the fence uh theologically where it's like you know if we go to heaven it's because god has chosen us as such and if we don't that's because god Hasn't chosen us, right? Yeah, yeah. And and yes, the Bible says, you know, um, you know, you do not choose me because I first chose you. You know, you don't love me; I first loved you, right? You know, you chose right. me because I chose you. And so, but the thing about this guy was, he was also in the in the week that I had, you know, with them, or the weekend that I had with them, doing this marketer coalition like gathering yeah. in Branson, Missouri. Um, is it Missouri? Branson, Missouri. Is that right? Branson, Missouri. Yeah. yeah oh man, such a good. cool place. First time I was ever there. And um, anyway he was the most prolific evangelist i'd ever seen and it confused me because i was like you know every meal we go out to eat or any downtime we'd have it was like in his dna to to immediately talk to somebody walking by you know he had a little you know he had a little deck of cards and every now and he'd like just have something to like demonstrate you know like a cool little trick or whatever, you know, or like a little light trick, you know, just a, just a friendly guy. You're almost like, wait, are you paid? Are you, are you like paid <laughs> to be in, in entertainment here? Like yeah. way friendly, way nice. And then he would just weave in a bit of the gospel cool. to like, he would get done with his meal early and go share it. And I'm like, yeah. So I was struggling with i I'm like, how does this guy who believes that Oh well, if you go to heaven, it's because God chose you, and, and if you're not chosen, then you don't go to heaven. It re- extreme, you know. Calvin is, well, you know, just one yeah. degree, but he's sharing the gospel with everybody he can,
1: as if to get more saved. Well, we should we should actually unpack that word Calvinism real quick, okay. and if you don't mind, I'll give yeah, a brief overview go. of what this is. And so, um, in the 1600s, there's a French theologian by the name of John Calvin, mm-hmm. and and he's known as in the Reformed movement as and by reform movement and we that's another thing to unpack but by reform movement i mean it's it's a branch of christianity that finds its roots in the reformation um, when the church left the catholic church or, or the protestants left the catholic church and so the reformation movement reformed movement reformed teachers would say that john calvin he is the father of this idea of Calvinism. And, and there's five points. It's known as Tulip. And, and we can unpack that later. But sure. Calvinism is named after him right. and his doctrine on uh, what Calvinists, and you would find Presbyterians, and there's a bunch of different denominations, Reformed Baptist, mm-hmm. etc. who would call these the doctrines of grace. And okay. so on the other side, uh, in the later 1600s, I believe, there's a man by the name of Jake, Jacob Arminius. And Jacob Arminius had a different view of Romans chapter 7. And and with that, he was actually asked by Theodore Beza, who was another Reformed theologian at the time, to actually write a defense. And I'm going to use another really big word of a doctrine called supralapsarianism. Okay. Because there was another doctrine known as lapsarianism that was challenging it. And hmm. so if you're listening in your youth, ignore the big words for now. But in Arminius's delineation where he, he's going through and he's trying to figure out a way to delineate superlapsarianism, which is essentially the teaching of double predestination. Yeah, okay. And he, what he does is he realizes some of this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And he comes to this different conclusion on Romans chapter 7. And there's this big controversy in the church. And I'm going to just use his last name. There's, there's this French, I believe he's a French uh, Calvinist theologian. Mm-hmm. His last name is Gamores. And Gamores would just harass Arminius and mm-hmm. he would get him brought before this, the synods and, and, and he would get Arminius locked up in these, you know, really, uh, controversial, uh, situations where he's being put to the test and, right. and poor Arminius, uh, he, he doesn't even, uh, you know, for him in his mind, he's still a Calvinist, mm. you know? But he has this different view, and it's that um, that, <laughs> that you are, there's a grace that goes before. And in, in, in Reformed theology, there's a grace that goes before, and that grace uh, for the Reformed theologians, mm-hmm. which, which they would say that Arminius isn't, Arminius would say he is, but for like the Calvinist types, they would say that this is effectual calling. Hmm. Meaning, you know, God is effective, and, and and if He wants to save you, He's going to save you, and your will has no part in it. And so, if He's going to save you, that's going to happen. There's there's nothing that's going to stop it from happening. And so it's it's effectual. And so, what the Reformed theologians that are Calvinists would say is that because God is effectual and His call is effectual, you're actually regenerated before you even repent. You, you essentially you are saved before you even come to repentance. Got it, yeah. And so for Arminius, he's like, I don't think that's the case. And Arminians, and later John Wesley helped make sense of this particular belief, and Arminius in his sentiments sort of describes it, and then I believe it was Wesley that really put a name on it. And it's called prevenient grace. Hmm. It's grace that goes before, that okay, Calvinists, we agree when Calvinists and Reformed types would say that, yeah, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and a dead person isn't going to seek after God. But at the same time, Arminius and Wesley, they acknowledge what it says in Acts chapter 17, that, you know, God set the borders of the nations, and he set things up so that maybe the nations would feel their way towards God. Mm -hmm. That Yes, they're spiritually dead in the sense of Genesis chapter two, where God said, "In the day that you eat of this, you shall surely die." And that death was passed on to the rest of mankind. But the prevenient grace that they're talking about is that uh, initial quickening of God to the hearts and, and of of unbelieving people, prevenient grace, grace that goes before, that begins to wake them up spiritually to the salvific call of God saying, repent and believe the good news. Hmm. And so um, for me, I would definitely agree more with Arminius and Wesley Mm -hmm. and and the Arminian types. Unfortunately for Arminius and John Calvin, neither one of them had a clue that their names would be so, uh, so important. Arminius didn't invent Arminianism. Mm -hmm. Calvin didn't invent Calvinism. And, you know, I've read the Institutes of the Christian Religion. I've read uh, Arminius's Declaration of Sentiments, and there's things with Arminianum, Arminianism that doesn't sound like Arminius, and there's things in Calvinism that does not sound like Calvin. And so, sure. and so, really, they were just two guys pulled out of the history of the church, and the the name their name was slapped on, you know, some points and right. thrown into a system on over over overlapping what a system of theology is and and so anyway yeah no that and that that's beautiful insight because it's 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 like you know i've heard even our
0: senior pastor from time to time be like he has information come back to him oh i'm doing this because pastor dan asked me to he's like i didn't even i didn't even know that I don't even know who that person is. You know, it's like, you know, but people, (laughs) people, you know, like you're saying with Calvinism and Arminianism is, is is they take their debate, their thought, their intellectual property per se, you know, uh, and blow it into this full movement. And ultimately, you know, we, we ought to be, you know, if there's Calvinism, Arminianism, how about Jesusism? You know what I mean? You know, like, and, and I do appreciate our, forefathers in the faith yeah. you know uh augustine and, and yeah. uh tertullian and some and but some of the yeah. s- some of stuff is also knowing that they didn't even have the ability to translate hebrew uh right. you know uh back then with augustine and, and tertullian and and these others you know we we weren't yet translating so some of the establishment of of our big pieces of faith fundamentals of faith come from a, a great leadership of these individuals, these theologians, without having the full context of the original Hebrew Bible, just just going from the Greek, you know, and Latin. And so, which is great. Yeah. But as we gain access to the, you know, for primary text, it, it just helps us to, I think, connect more intimately with the scripture and, yeah. and the meaning behind it, yeah. you know, so.
1: And, and you know, to, to kind of tie all this back into yeah. like predestination, that is a Christian doctrine. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. There's just so many opinions on what it is, and right. You know, um, I would say that yes, it, it it's clearly it's clearly in the scriptures. But what is it, and how does it pertain to salvation? Because that has been the controversy in the church. The church, yes. By and large, the church agrees that there's predestination. Mm-hmm. But what is it, and how does it pertain? to salvation. Absolutely. And, and so that's where you get these really weird doctrines. Like God saves you before you even repent. Yeah. And, and when I read the scriptures, I read, repent and believe, repent and believe. Like you repent, believe, and then you're saved. That, that, that is the formula. It is what I see in scripture. Mm-hmm. Now a, a reformed, theologian or a Calvinist would say, "Uh, that's nonsense. Why would you say that? You're taking power away from God. And then what we would say, well, no, it's not taking power from God. If that is how he wished it to be. Right. He, he created individual persons with free wills and he gives us a choice just like he gave Adam and Eve a choice. Mm-hmm. And there's no problem with that, I, I would say. Mm-hmm. And the idea of predestination is something that, that can really confuse unbelievers as well. And it's so confusing for young people. I remember I was just honestly devastated um, after I read about the Puritans and what they mm-hmm. believed. I thought they believed a false gospel. hmm and, and I, and in my mind, these guys are heretics, you know, right. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're wrong. And, and, and I was like, no wonder the Catholic church, oh wait, they're heretics too. No, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And and <laughs> right. I was just this on fire young person and, mm-hmm. and to go back and like, wow, uh, they, they do use the Bible. It's just, it depends on how they twist certain things. Yeah. Or how they interpret. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm.
0: And so, cause I, I feel like even as, you know, uh, I, I don't know what, Fellowship of Christian assemblies, so like you know, Pentecostal, charismatic, non-denominational, yeah. like individual myself, like as- aspiring to be theologian someday, you know, like yeah. kind of guy, like yeah. I could paint a picture to argue for predest, uh, you know, predestination, and and one that's also for you know the opposite side where it's like could, yeah, it- that biblically you can you can create a case both ways, and that and that I feel like is the obstacle that we come across even as yes. believers is is you can actually successfully argue both sides
1: of the story to yeah. some degree yeah well uh, i mean and i think if we were to dive into the text of scripture mm-hmm. really one of the foundational pieces of scripture that talks about predestination would be and and i believe that it's romans eight twenty eight through 30 mm-hmm. and and if you it, don't yeah. if you don't mind i'm going to read that and i'm just going to um, give the Armenian perspective and then mm-hmm. the Calvinist perspective, but then after that, I'm gonna tr- try and delineate some of my perspective on Perfect. the yeah. on that text. Yeah, and so uh, really, it, and here's the thing: if if you if you were to actually just only part of bad doctrine is you just isolate a few verses, right, without reading the full context. Mm-hmm. And, and and what's crazy is. If you were to take a look at Romans, Romans is not just, you know, three verses. Yeah. It's actually, you know, eight Romans chapter 8, there's seven chapters behind it. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, uh, what is it, like nine chapters in, or eight chapters in front of it, you know. And right. it's like there's so much more context. And actually, uh, if you were to keep reading, you could get more context looking back to where you're at. Or even if you were to look back... In the text, you can get more context oh, yeah. of what's being said in the, in the present area you're at. And right. so we're going to take a look at that as well. But in Scripture here, um, it says in verse 28, and this is where they start, it says that, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified. He also glorified. Let's start Mm, with such a good scripture though. Let's just pause for a minute to be like, "Yeah, so good. It's It's glorious. I love the word. And and let's start with the Calvinist Mm -hmm. perspective here. And so, when they read verse 29, those whom he foreknew, mm-hmm. the Greek word is for that is prognosko. Mm-hmm. And at times in scripture, you'll see it used as kind of like an aphorism. Um, in, in the Old Testament world or even in this time, um, it's actually like uh, in, re- in terms of romance, mm-hmm. they use it as like, oh, he knew her intimately as yeah. in a uh, sexual interaction. Yeah. That, and
0: that uh, was like agapeo type love, right? You know, yeah. Yeah. Or it's, Eros type love. Yeah. 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 And
1: so, and so that was like an aphorism and some, and, and you'll hear some Calvinist teachers say, okay, so this is not to say that God is being intimate that way. That's not how God rolls. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's to say that God knows us so deep and uh, in, 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 in so intimately that he he knows all this about us, and there and so they say that, and say they say therefore he predestined us because he knew all those minute details in advance. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he created us to be that way and predestined us to be that way. Right. And so the Calvinists take note that this is the aorist active indicative form. What that means is that okay, um, this is something that happened in advance. This happened. A long time ago. And so when a Calvinist reads this, those whom he foreknew, they're saying, hey, uh, he foreknew you way in advance. He predestined you way in advance. Um, and he called you way in advance. And he justified you way in advance. And he glorified you way in advance. In fact, there's a very interesting teaching that, that the reform types have, and they call it the golden chain of redemption. Hmm. And, and if any links of that chain breaks, well, in Calvinism, well, then you're just not saved. It's not a good situation. If you haven't been foreknown, mm-hmm. well, you're not saved. If you've not been predestined, you're not saved. If you've, um, what's the next part of this? If you've not been called, you're not saved. If right. you've not been justified, you're not saved. If you're not glorified, you're not saved. Right. Those five things, That's important because if, if you're none of those, you're not saved. Yeah. Or if, or if you're, if you're not one of those, you're not saved. Right. Yeah. Ex- exactly. And, and and so they call it the golden chain of rege- redemption and they say, this chain can't be broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so then there's the Arminian view mm-hmm. and the Arminian view focuses on this word for new. And they've kind of gotten a bad, Armenians have kind of gotten a bad rap because they, they use this example and they get made fun of by the Calvinists for this. But they, they use the term, God looks through the corridors of time and he sees what's going to happen. He sees that someone is going to be saved if, if, you know, if he does this mm-hmm. and he chooses them and they're trying to fit within that heiress active indicative form in order to make sense of that particular, uh, text because glorified that's past tense, justified that's past tense. Right. Um, called? That's past tense. It, it, it wouldn't make sense for it to be talking about it being present, right? right. And so they, they acknowledge that it's past tense, but they say, okay, but God sees through the corridors of time. And, and really we need to just focus on that word for new. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, Calvinists are like, God does, you know, he looks through the corridors of time. He just knows. And, and, and the Arminians, Arminians are like, hey, we don't mean it like that. We're trying to give an example to give you guys an idea of what we mean. And so right. but there's a third view. And the third view is older than the golden chain of redemption. Mm. You know, that that was that was, you know, that it was uh reformed theologians in the 1600s that kind of sparked that, right? Sure. And yeah. and so um and the older view of this passage comes from a man, an early church father by the name of John Chrysostom. And John Chrysostom has a very interesting view about it. And it's it's that prognosco in the text is not that he knew as in he foreordained. Mm-hmm. Which is what the Calvinists would say. By foreknew, it means he foreordained. And it's not um, he foreknew as in he knew in advance mm-hmm. either, as the Arminians would say, but that foreknew it actually means that he knew before. Hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so, and that still fits with the heiress active indicative form of the text. Right. So if we were to go. To let's go not, to
0: not like he foreordained, but he just knew beforehand.
1: Well kind that that would concept. be that would be what the Armenians would say. Mm-hmm. What John Chrysostom would say is that this is a person from the past that he oh, knew. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so let me give you a biblical background for that before I go any further. So yeah. if we were to go to Romans chapter um, eleven, verse two. It says, God has not rejected his people in whom he foreknew. Okay. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Okay. Mm -hmm. If we were to go back to verse one, he's answering this question. I ask then, has God rejected his people by no means for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So he's trying to answer this question. And what is he saying? Well, look back to the people whom God knew beforehand. Right. And that would be Elijah. And 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 what does he say? He goes on to describe Elijah as that example, as someone that he knew beforehand. Mm. And he says, Lord, they have killed your prophets. This is what Elijah's saying. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Right. He's looking to a past experience. He's like, look at Uh, the old testament saints Hmm. whom uh whom god foreknew knew beforehand yeah look at um, these examples so kind of
0: his perspective then is coming at it like they existed you know at a previous time so to speak in the spirit is that what you're saying and then like god knew them And then when they became embodied and like he, so he knew them from a time before or is this? Yes. Yeah. He
1: knew them from time past. Right. And so like this is, so the Armenians and the Calvinists, they're over, I don't know, intellectualizing the verse. Sure. He's saying, he's literally saying, look back, Mm -hmm. look at Elijah whom God foreknew. Mm -hmm. He knew him beforehand. Mm -hmm. And so, I'm gonna give another verse and this kind of puts this kind of just closes the door on sure. what I'm trying to say here about how the the New Testament uses this. Right. And I'm gonna to go to Acts chapter um Acts chapter 26. Okay. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go, I'm just gonna start reading and, and Paul's talking Agrippa and Paul are having a conversation, mm-hmm. and Paul's going to defend himself, right? And he says, I consider myself fortunate that, this, or that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusation of the Jews, mm-hmm. especially because you're familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. And now he's going to start. Okay. Mm-hmm. He says, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning amongst my own nation and in Jerusalem is known mm-hmm. by all the Jews. Mm-hmm. interesting let's go to the blue letter bible real quick on uh the internet here that i'm on and if if we were to go to where it says is known mm-hmm. or blue letter bible uses the king james and it says which knew mm-hmm. guess what word that is in the greek
0: <coughs> that word
1: guess. is prognosis. the same word used for foreknew why is he saying uh that he's saying well hey they knew me before. <coughs> right. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is prognosco by all the Jews. The Jews knew beforehand hmm. about me. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictness or the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. Hmm. He's saying, hey, they knew. They Knew me beforehand. They knew me before him. Yeah, and so, and so, Paul. It's not this like weird romantic conversation sure. about how God, you know, love you so so much deeply. It's not some uh, passion translation stuff. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, don't get me started on that. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get off track real fast with yeah. that. But yeah, passion. Yeah, bar. No. Uh, but but like. Where where the Calvinists are going with it is like, oh it's an aphorism for love and, and what God's really saying is he loves you so deeply that that it's like the love that God has for you is that he loved you so much in that he elected you when he created you and there's other people who aren't so lucky right. and, and that's and, not and really... that's I
0: think the piece that uh comes in is like the other people aren't so lucky it's like well, man you know what about all the others so so how do we determine The difference outside of, you know, just using the five chain, you know, (laughs) five link chain or, or, you know, it's like because God foreknew
1: everything in his omniscience. So technically he knew of everything and everyone to come into existence. Yeah. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm I'm trying to show that there's a difference between the biblical foreknew in these texts Mm -hmm. and foreknowledge, which is a philosophical term. In Christian philosophy, right. to, to talk about how God does foresee, if we were to go to 1 Samuel, I believe it's 23, uh-huh. and and that's an example of God's foreknowledge. David said, okay, Lord, uh, if I stay here, what's going to happen? Well, yep. you know, they're going to turn you, know, the, the, the city is going to turn you over to Saul. Well, yep. yikes. So what does David do? He dips out. He leaves because, the city and it doesn't happen. Because God's able to see in advance. Absolutely. But It's a beautiful example. But yeah. and, and there's better examples than Romans Uh, 8, 28 through 30 Mm -hmm. that are examples of foreknowledge in scripture. And and so with that in mind, let's just go back because, and I love at verse 18 how Mm -hmm. uh, it actually, you know what? Let's even go further. Let's go to verse 12. Okay. Okay. Because he's talking about how we're heirs with Christ. Right. And with this in mind that he's looking back to Old Testament Saints, or thinking of it in that direction, mm-hmm. he says. So then, brothers, we're debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For you live according to the fl- for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to deeds the de- or death the, the deeds of the body, and you will live. Mm-hmm. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of god and if children then also heirs and heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ provided that we suffer interesting mm-hmm. provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him right interesting because it appears that romans 8:20 8 through 30 looks back to that verse, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him, right? Yeah. And then what does he say in the next verse? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the So, real quick, mm-hmm. the, the sons of God have not yet been revealed to creation yet. By that, meaning us, mm-hmm. children of God, in our glorified bodies. Right. Is what the text is talking about. Yeah. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and so it says in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, that suffering, right, mm-hmm. who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Mm-hmm. Right. Going yeah. back to that glorified body, going back to, hey, we're, we're here's the thing. One of the questions that maybe the early church would have asked is, if I'm saved, why do I still have to be here? Why do I still have to suffer? Why are we still being persecuted? Like this is in the peak time of Christian persecution from Jews and Romans and and all of that. And then in verse 24, he says, for in this hope, we were saved. Mm. Now, this hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. Right. Right. It's not a hope but, that disappoints, wrong. right? It's not. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. He's driving home: be patient, be patient, be patient. Twenty, verse twenty-six. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we did not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and He who search searches, sorry, the the heart knows. What is the mind of the spirit? Because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then we get to verse 28. Mm-hmm. He's talking about this yeah. suffering that all Christians are going through. <clears throat> right. And then he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Why do we know that? Mm-hmm. For those who are called according to his person. So why do we know that? For those whom he foreknew, the Elijah's. Yeah. Yeah. The Abrahams, right? The Jacobs, yes. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, and that's a very interesting point, and it's not something to ignore mm-hmm. because you get that question from time to time. Well, what about the Old Testament? Who saved them? Well, it was Jesus,
0: mm-hmm. right.
1: right? Yeah. They were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those looking back whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I don't have my glorified body yet. You don't have your glorified body yet. I know that Elijah's in heaven dancing around doing the happy dance. He has his, right? Absolutely. So that is what the text is about. It's about those... Hey, Paul is saying, look back. Mm -hmm. Look back. Look at these examples from the Old Testament. Right. This is the example Mm -hmm. that we have. We can say, hey... God brought them through. He'll bring you through too. Right. It's the exact same thing that we have the opportunity as youth pastors Mm -hmm. to go in front of the youth and say, look what God brought Joseph through. Right. Look what God brought Job through. And if he can do it for them, he can do it for you. And that's what Paul's doing. He's being like a, he's an ancient day youth pastor. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. And so I know I spent a lot of time on that, but, but you know going back and i'm sure maybe it'd be good to go into some of these questions of like if if that if those verses don't really have much to do with that what then do we say of the idea though mm-hmm. that there's people who are just predestined by god to just go to hell and right and i don't find that in 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 scripture at all and i'm just going to pull up uh First Peter, I believe it's First Peter two nine. Uh, no, I think it's actually First Peter three nine. Yeah, because
0: that's the uh, <clears throat> consensus. There is is we do see a lot of scriptural evidence of there being predestined individuals for God's purposes. Like, if if it wasn't Moses, it would have been a Moses figure. You know what I mean? If it wasn't Abraham, it would have been. Uh, some kind of abraham individual you know like just because it it's like god has a a plan and a purpose to make his will and his his plan realized through men right through mankind and i feel like in some ways when we're looking at this context of predestination and god having foreknew these individuals is is god had key people that he needed to you walk in the fullness of their calling to bring that next step. And so when they step into that, whether it was Moses or some other dude named Jehoshaphat, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it ended up being Moses cause he, he heard, you know, he responded to the call and he walked it out, you know, thank God. So therefore God's it, it's, it's like that divine counsel, uh, you know, perspective when, yeah. when it was time for Ahab, you know, to, to die, you know, and, uh, King Ahab to die, and they discussed about it. Hey, who you know? I've God's made a commandment. It's time for King Ahab to die, and so Micaiah, the prophet, you know, goes and tells him the truth. But in this divine council, they're like, "I'll well, I'll go be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets yeah. baal bail," you know. And and then and then, so he God proclaims a thing, but how that comes to fruition in reality is ultimately subject to his people or yeah. his council. And now that yeah. in Christ, you know, the disinherited fallen angels, the dishonest sons of God, right? We are to now be the sons of God, you know, called to walk in that. So it's up to us to make manifest God's reality through being his, through obedience. So it's like there's positions and avenues for us to fulfill the proclamation of God that is God's destiny, but are we going to partner with those pieces in our opportunity? I, and I don't think that that boils it down to every yeah. single person that chooses Jesus or doesn't
1: choose Jesus is because they were destined to do so. Exactly. It, it, real quick, I just yeah. want to add on to what you said about yeah. how we kind of replace the, the those ruling angels, right? Yeah. Paul says it in First Corinthians 6, 3. Do you realize that we will judge angels? Mm-hmm. So you should surely be able to. Resolve the dispute that was going on Absolutely. in that chapter. So just to throw that in there, because that's pretty cool yeah. that that you mentioned that, and and I I, I wanted to bring up uh, because just for some scriptural proof, that we're not just throwing it out. You yeah, know, we're not just ignoring other views, but there's there's very important verses that cannot be ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, uh, and Peter says in Second uh, Peter chapter three, but do not overlook this fact beloved that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness mm-hmm. but is patient toward you mm-hmm. why not wishing that any should perish yeah he doesn't want anyone to nobody perish, so why would he predestine it that way right yeah but that all should reach repentance absolutely and so you know and and I mean, there's just there's so much more that we could get into with this. I mean, um, it's like Jesus. I remember, you know, reading him saying, "Hey, like, like a like a like a mother hen, you know, I wished I, I would gather you in, but you weren't willing, right? All of you, all of you." And he's talking to hardened Israel. And if we were to go to back go back to Ezekiel thirty three eleven, mm-hmm. God is saying, "I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked." but rather that they turn from their ways and live and one of the things that that's taught in this double predestination view is that actually it pleases god to judge the wicked because it gives him more glory and right. and it's like no he takes no pleasure in that that's you know and and, and so it's like you know god's word it's it, it's so evidently clear like people go to hell because they the the wicked go to hell because they reject God, right? Yeah. You know, it says in Psalm uh 10:4, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. Mm-hmm. Not because they're unable to, right. You know? It, it it you know, and and maybe in some cases yes, but there's that same thing Acts chapter 17 that God also has this way of Nudging them and moving in that in that direction and right. that prevenient grace that goes before, um, and so like what it comes down to is what is what is predestination about in particular and in scripture you can see that in a lot of cases predestination has to do with your calling mm-hmm. as a son of God Right. you know Jesus. Before the foundation of the earth there and, and I'm not gonna get into the Latin word for it, sure. but it's a it's it's a biblical teaching that before the foundation of the earth, God and Jesus they knew what was gonna happen. Right. And they made a plan. Yeah. And that plan was to guide history to this one point where he would lay his life down for the lost. Right. They knew that Adam and Eve would sin. Mm-hmm. But why did God get even even allow it? Well, hey, <laughs> He he made them in his image. They've got right. a choice, right? Just like he's got a choice, right? But he decided, you know, it's better to have people down uh, down the pike, mm-hmm. people down the pike of history who would repent and believe in faith in Christ. It's better to have them exist than not exist, right? And I'm willing to go through the pain of seeing people reject me mm-hmm. for them.
0: Right. And then, and some, and then some people might <clears throat> come and come with the perspective of saying, so, so then you're saying God predestined evil. It would be the obstacles because well so so God created Adam and Eve knowing that they were gonna sin, or God created mm-hmm. Satan knowing that he was going to fall and reject. And you know, and so that's yeah. an so my problem with my well.
1: problem with that is that um evil or rebellion, allowing for rebellion or predestining that, um it's and 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 some calvinists really twist it they say oh every evil thing that ever takes place god predestined it and and no that that's not what the bible teaches the bible doesn't teach that god predestined evil to happen or that he wanted it to have or you know anything like that Mm -hmm. but that he allows it what is evil evil is anything that is contrary to the character of god right and so the idea of evil is that people can go opposite of him. And, Absolutely. and, and in order for him to make someone in his image, mm-hmm. they have to have that free will. They have to be able to love. Yep. Right. And part of that is, okay, they have, they have I should be, be able as, to reject God. Yeah. And,
0: they, they have to be created as, as free moral agents. Yes. And, and that's really what yeah. he did is, is, you know, human or, or angelic mm-hmm. creating those free moral agents, you know, it's like, and, and if I can only choose to do good, yeah. I'm not a free moral agent. Not at all. And, we, and then we also don't carry the image of God because we don't have the capacity yeah. to choose wrath and wickedness. And, and not that God does. Yeah. And it's impossible for God to lie and sin because yeah. he, that is not his character. But
1: like the one thing that makes us different than God in that sense is because it's like God cannot do sinful things because it's against his character as a maximally great, omniscient, mm-hmm. all powerful to the max good person right. in, in being, right? Yeah. It's not so with us. We are not maximally good. Mm-hmm. And that is different. Right. You know, and and so God is the unmoved mover. He is the, the, the perfect example of a foundation. Mm-hmm. He is the foundation for us, really. And, and so um, we are afforded that choice to blow it, to mess up, to make a to make these mistakes that we make, right. Absolutely. To not just mistake, but sins and blunders and, you know, humankind, we, we get real creative with our evil, right. You know, war upon war. I mean, atomic bombs so that we can blow up thousands of people, you know, that, but that's us. That's not God. Right. And, and that God is being patient and he's enduring that. Mm-hmm. He's enduring that. Why? Because he's wanting more people to come to repentance. Right. You know, and, and so uh, I've had youth ask me, you know, Hey, you know, pastor Adam, why is it that God allows evil in the world? You know, if he's so good, why is, why does he allow it? Why doesn't he just stop? It? And I was like, buddy, he loves you too much to, to, to stop it. Because if, if, if he just got rid of evil, he, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> you wouldn't. You, you evil, son. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, in our, in our sin, we're... Every person on. on this planet is a wicked mm-hmm. sinner apart from the grace of God changing their lives. Yep. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. And we need grace. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, sure, you can put yourself in the judgment seat and judge God mm-hmm. for not getting rid of evil... But here's the thing. You're not doing yourself any favors. Right. You're shooting yourself in the foot because the reason why evil exists in the first place is because of the mercy of God. Mm-hmm. And people don't quite recognize that, but it's an important thing to know.
0: Yeah. And I think so. it's so important that we get that picture that, that God did treat us to be, you know, as his imagers. And, and he desires to partner with us. He yeah. de- he doesn't desire just to tell us to do something and then and then make us
1: do it. He desires to. Unless you're Job, but no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he desires to... or not Job Jonah, my bad Jonah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you <laughs> know,
0: to some degree, and I mean, yeah, he could have he could have continued walking rebellion, but he could have. Yeah, the the reality is like God wants to reveal his truth about our lives and about his, about what he has for us that we might then choose how to partner with him. He, he's not looking for, a, per se, a dictatorship outside of this is what I've decided. Now, how would you guys like to fulfill that? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like it, it's really that kingly authority. It's yeah. like, I'm going to trust you. And that's when you see in the parable of, you know, even the talents. And, and mm-hmm. you know, the, the king goes away. But it's when he comes back, he wants to see how did you – he didn't say – I want you to invest this wisely. He just entrusted them with the talents. And then those that did well with it were blessed and, and highly favored and then put in in charge over cities. He didn't tell them what to do with it or how to handle it. He just entrusted it to them. Yeah. And so it's
1: with us. And that was the, that was really the the Edenic goal in the first place with Adam. I mean, God, God is not a simple person by any means. Yeah. But he operates consistently with his nature, absolutely. Yeah. and so you know, looking at Adam, go and cultivate this garden, make it look good, do you know expand eden yeah and and he does the same thing with people mm-hmm. right and and so i I don't know if if you would be on board with this, mm-hmm. but there is this idea of prevenient grace mm-hmm. and and just. I've been asked before to give a biblical background for it. Like what is the biblical background for prevenient grace? Because, um, there is the biblical truth that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Mm-hmm. Now it, it's clear that, that the Calvinist predest, you know, you're, you predest, either you can only be regenerated by some miraculous, uh, well, not really miraculous, but got pre-planned predestined event. Yeah. Um, but there's the fact that, uh, God does work with our wills. Mm. He does. He works with us. Absolutely. And so um, there is a third view on this whole topic. It's called Molinism. Mm-hmm. And Molinism is the idea that God has middle knowledge and he has foreknowledge. And with his middle knowledge and what middle knowledge is, is the middle knowledge is that he knows what you'll do. Mm. And, and actually, 1 Samuel 23 is a good example of that. So, yeah. you know, God God knew uh, what would happen if David stayed? Right. Right. And so um, the idea here is that with his middle knowledge, he will command or guide in certain ways to bring about a certain circumstance. So, right. oh, geez. I mean, if we, <laughs> I'm so sorry, but if yeah, we bring so up we, Mark chapter four. Yeah. Let's bring up Mark let's chapter four it. real quick, because in Mark chapter four, um, verse 10 at verse 10. He is saying, Jesus is speaking, and the disciples had just asked him, hey, why are you talking in parables so much? They can't understand you. And he essentially says, good, that's what I want to happen. I I don't want them to understand me. Hmm. So it says that when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And at verse 11, he says, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. And then he quotes Isaiah. Mm -hmm. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's interesting. And and that kind of takes a real big shot at the idea of, um, of... you're regenerated before you repent. Right. Right. Why would that be? Well, why would Jesus go out of his way to prevent them in that moment? Right. And I'll explain why I say in that moment, in a moment. Sure. Um, why would he do that in that moment, speak in parables so they don't understand? Well, because they would repent. Yeah. If he If he spoke the truth plainly to them, they would repent. Mm-hmm. Well, later on in the text, he's explaining to them that, hey, um, I'm supposed to die. I have to die. Mm-hmm. And and if we were in Matthew chapter 16, uh, let me see if I can pull that up. Yeah. Because um, I think that is the corollary for the parable of the sower as well. Um, no, that's the Sadducees and Pharisees demanding a sign. Oh, yeah. So... Uh, it eventually, after the peril of the sower in Matthew in, in Matthew in, in chapter 16 verse 21, Jesus begins to tell the disciples that he's supposed to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised right mm-hmm. And this is where Peter looked at him and says, no, I, he rebukes Jesus and he says, "Get behind me, Satan right." Why would he do this? Why would he be talking in parables? Well, the people are supposed to dislike Jesus. They're supposed to hate him. Yeah, that, 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 for, for his will to be done, they got to crucify him. Yeah. And, and so if they're all repenting, well, that is messing with the plan. So in his foreknowledge, Jesus hmm. is keeping the people from repenting. Why? Well, because the people need to kill him. Yeah. They need to choose Barabbas over him. You know, and, yeah. and that brings us, you know, if we were to go to verse 18, you know, they're in Caesarea Philippi, mm-hmm. Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi. And, and what does he do They're They're right at probably scholars say, Dr. Heiser, I know you mm-hmm. talk about him a lot. Yeah. He, he would say that they were probably at the base of Mount Hermon. Yep. When, when, uh, Jesus asked this question, it says, now, when, Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. He asked the disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Mm -hmm. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus kind of, you're not smart enough to just know that, right? Right. Oh yeah. And and he replied, Jesus says, uh, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Mm -hmm. for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, you are Peter. What is Peter? Petros, rock. Uh, And and on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is being punny. He's telling a dad joke almost, it seems Mm -hmm. like. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why would he say that? Well, in Caesarea Philippi, it's considered the netherworld. That's Mm -hmm. where the, the God pan was yep. being worshiped and and so
0: there, there was
1: a cave just down the yeah.
0: way from where they were at if well, they're at mount herman where that yeah. necromancy took place and was considered mm-hmm. the the
1: portal to hades well and that's important to to note there because actually um oh and, and then jesus that then that goes into jesus foretelling his death right yeah and then the mount transfiguration yep and then, six days later, the Transfiguration happens. It says they go up on a high mountain. now, there's two mountains in that area there's mm-hmm. Mount Tabor yep. and there's Mount Hermon, which one's the high mountain? yeah, Mount hermon. hermon, yeah, they're likely in in mount hermon and and that's what I would agree with mm-hmm. they He led them up on a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. He's literally poking these demonic forces in the eye, yep. nudging them to hey, we need to he now he's up on our mountain transfiguring, yeah. showing his glory, revealing to himself as God. No, we're not going to let this happen. It makes him mad. Exactly.
0: But yeah, because that's the very mountain, you know, according to Enochian text. It's like that the the angels, the watchers, descended upon and made an agreement to, yeah. you know, uh, upon a, a curse of, of each other that, that they would take for themselves wives. And so it's like on the very yeah. mountain that you all came in agreement to rebel against me, I'm going to reveal myself. In fullness as the unique son of God the only the, you it, know yeah
1: mm-hmm it will it and not long after that mm-hmm. what does Jesus do then he goes and he does the triumphal entry, entry I think it was like two weeks later maybe I don't I don't remember um but he does yes the in, in Matthew 21 they they're drawing near to Jerusalem mm-hmm. remember Jesus was just saying I have to go to Jerusalem yeah yeah um and and now they're drawing near to Jerusalem and here's the triumphal entry. And this is like a total smack in the face of these spiritual forces because he's, he's coming in as, as the crown King. Right. And, and he's riding in on the donkey and the palm tree and, and all of the, you know, Sunday school stories are coming to life for the children here. But this is a continued smack in the face of the enemy. And then, so how does this all tie into what I'm saying about the, the idea of Molinism? Well, Molinism is that there's middle knowledge, there's foreknowledge, and God uses the middle knowledge and the foreknowledge and, and, and really his knowledge mm-hmm. to make things happen in certain ways. Yeah. Jesus wasn't rejecting the Jews whenever uh, he was teaching in parables when he told about the parable of the sower. He wasn't rejecting them. He wasn't uh, damning them to hell. Right. He wasn't doing that. He was keeping them from knowing because he needed to die. Mm-hmm. He needed to die, and then what did he do? He went and he poked the devil's eye. Right. Well, I mean, look right. look
0: at even when he when he leans over to Judas. Yeah. And, and says, you know, do, do what you go got to do do.
1: do. do it quickly. Like, yeah. They all thought he was talking about go pay the bill. Like, and then Satan entered him. <laughs> you know, it, it was it. You know, it kind of reads like Jesus is giving the devil. All right, fine. Go ahead, do what you got to do with Judas here, mm-hmm. because I know that he's going to be the vessel you use to the take me wrath. out. And so then there's this idea of pre- prevenient grace that comes in yep. where where prevenient grace is what is used. God uses to work with us, right. right? He works with us. And so in a written debate I did a while back with, with a reformed brother, mm-hmm. um, This is what I say about prevenient grace. And I say, it's most certainly true, however, that nobody can come to the knowledge of the good news except by the enlightening of the Holy Spirit. This is a doctrine taught by uh, Jacobus Arminius and John Wesley and is termed as prevenient grace. John Wesley elucidates it this way. Salvation begins with what is usually termed prevenient grace including the first wish to please God, the first dawn of light concerning his will, and the first slight transient conviction of having sinned against him. Um, so in this way, it's grace is a necessity for mankind, because if we were to look at what Paul says, the gospel is hid to them that are lost, because Satan the God of this world mm-hmm. has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's Second Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. And this does not say that the gospel is hid from them because the Lord chose not to regenerate them, which logically follows from the Reformed category of total inability, or for the reform they call it total, total depravity. But I've changed it to inability in this debate because... Right. No one disagrees with the depravity of man, right. but it's, they disagree with, with this peculiar reformed doctrine of, no, you're just not able. Right. Unless God makes you able. Right. So then I go further. I say, furthermore, it's important to note that Satan would not need to exhaust such an effort to blind the minds of the people that are lost if all men are totally depraved to the extent of total inability as the reformed theologians teach. Right. Why would the devil need to go at such length to uh, keep us unsaved, to yeah. blind us, yeah. right? If it's predestined, like God would have to uh, literally, forcefully, effectually, right? Yeah. That effectual calling that the Reformed theologians talk about, if he has to effectually save them anyway, why would the devil have to go to those lengths? Right. He wouldn't have to because... No. God's the one pulling the strings. Right. And I say, if all men are totally depraved to the extent of total inability as the Reformed theologians teach. And then I go further. For more on this blindness, Paul states it quite clearly that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all. Yeah. Titus 2.11. Indicating that there's a certain grace that is present before salvation is actualized. Yeah. Supplementing this. As previously cited, Jesus said the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit, would reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, John sixteen eight. Another word for reprove in this passage is convict. John MacArthur puts, writes this, that, that this conviction is the conviction of the need of a Savior. John MacArthur, the famous Reformed Baptist theologian, and, and so, and from the context, Jesus is obviously, if, if we were to uh, take a look at that, Jesus is obviously speaking about the entire world of sinners. Yeah. And so it's not about conviction of being only for a particular elect that is chosen to join him in glory. It's for everyone. Yeah. He convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness yeah. and judgment, mm-hmm. just as, uh, no special ability is required to be pardoned from a crime. Mm. There is no peculiar ability necessary for those that are in Christ, uh, that Christ rescued from eternal condemnation. Mm-hmm. Thus, the reform basis of total depravity or total inability is what I would say, mm-hmm. fails the review of both reason and biblical support. And that goes back to why do they believe in total inability well it's because of the idea they have about predestination and so uh, we would believe that God works with the will of man through this idea of prevenient grace that goes before that enlightens the hearts the darkened hearts of sinners and what is what does the word say Jesus says if my name be lifted up I will draw all men unto me yeah and and we see that happening and and I could go down the list and give example after example after example right. of how God works with us. And I really love what Ignatius says. Mm. And, and mind you, he's an early church father. And yeah. so, you know, people, they don't like the word religion in the modern day. It's just a word. Yeah. You know, people get offended by that word. It's just a word. But Ignatius says, if anyone is truly religious, he is a man of God. But if he is irreligious, he is a man of the devil made such, not by nature, but by his own choice. Mm. He Mm. chose that. Yeah. That's on him. That's what he's saying, right? And so so really, when it comes to the topic of predestination, you know, and I could go through Romans chapter 9 and how it talks about how Israel, a nation, predestined to carry the oracles of God. Now, Calvinists take that and they're like, oh, no, this means that, you know. God hates people and wants them to go to hell, you know, right. um, depending on the Calvinist. I'm trying sure. to be fair because there are four point Calvinists and they reject one part of tulip mm-hmm. and that would be the L, which would make it tulip. So they, the, the, apparently <laughs> they have like a, like a speech impediment, <laughs> but, right. but it, the L in tulip is limited atonement. That tone atonement is limited, that mm-hmm. God has a set amount of people that he's going to save. Right. And Everyone else gets the axe, yeah. right? It's, it's the RSVP. You know, and if you didn't get the invite, sorry, I don't
0: got room for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And so, and so, it's like, it's like with that. And I'm trying to be fair to them because sure. there are. I mean, what they're describing really isn't Calvinism; it's Arminianism. But they're trying to be Calvinist still, mm-hmm. um, where they say, "Oh, well, uh, atonement's not limited." And there's different kinds of views on Calvinism. And it's really hard to to put everyone under un, one umbrella, but mm-hmm. I would reject the belief that we're totally unable because uh, regeneration or salvation is something that is predestined beforehand, and God actually effectually calls. Yeah, it's actually that there's a prevenient grace that goes before, and God works with our will. Yeah, and so um, I know that that's a lot to unpack. Is there any? Other direction you want to head with that, I know I mean there's I so feel like much.
0: I feel like there's so many avenues we could go down and probably could even do you know a couple more episodes you know yeah. uh from time to time on this because it, it's true you know people want to know do I have the ability to choose God, do I also if I've chosen God, am I now? eternally secure you know and then can we and, talk
1: about that
0: real quick uh we, we could touch on it we're about okay. about like an hour and 10 minutes so i don't I know i want to know the bandwidth of our of our listeners too you yeah know? that's um uh, yeah but i mean i i know that there's that perspective is like it maybe saved do, always yeah. saved you know like am i eternally secure being god's elect does that mean that god's elect of israel they you know worshiped baal because right. they apostate you know uh did they still go to heaven? Of course not. If they're worshiping, God. I don't think yeah. there's be- devil worshipers in heaven. You
1: know, what well, I mean? it, it, and, and that brings us to Hebrews chapter six. Yeah, and and in Hebrews chapter six, this is interesting. He's he's telling Christians, let let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying a foundation of repentance from dead works, and a fi- um, in a faith toward God, and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Mm -hmm. But what does he say? For it is impossible in the case of those. Now, in the case of those, meaning that there are cases of this. Yes, they exist. In the cases of those who have once been enlightened, these people are genuinely enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift. They have genuinely tasted of the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, genuinely shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the goodness of the word of God And the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Mm -hmm. And so what's the point here? What is Paul getting at? There are people who have genuinely tasted, you know, because what the Calvinists would say, oh, is that if they fell away, they were never really saved in the first place. No, Paul's saying they genuinely tasted of this. Yeah. And they fell away. So. Uh, the idea of eternally secure—you're eternally secure in Christ, mm-hmm. but if you crucify Him once again, you're under that judgment again. Right. And and I'm not going to break down Romans this part of Romans 11 too much because I know that we've yeah. got to get going here pretty yeah. soon. Um, but but real quick, uh, you know, he's talking about branches being broken off, right? That that original Israel fell away, yeah. and and now there's Gentiles being grafted in. Right. And and Paul warns the Gentiles, like, don't get arrogant. Right. Don't get arrogant. He said, then you'll say branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. That is true. Mm-hmm. They were broken off because of their unbelief, though. Right. So, yeah, we need to remain in Christ. We need to continue to believe in Jesus Christ. And he says, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Mm-hmm. For if God did not spare the natural branches neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of Mm -hmm. God, severity toward those who have fallen, fallen as in fallen away. Yeah. But kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Wow. Yeah. These are believers he's talking to. And he's saying you can be cut off. Absolutely. Why? If you come into a place of unbelief like Israel, right? If you're walking in pride, that's outside of the umbrella of Christ. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they'll be grafted back in for God has the power to graft them in again. And so, um, and real quick, just because Hebrews Mm -hmm. chapter six, that can be really scary for some people to hear. Yeah, Um, It's impossible for those who have turned away to be, to restore themselves back with God, all things are possible. Right. The idea is that, you know, if they're going on their own heart and way, they're not going to be able to restore themselves back. It's impossible for us to restore them back. It's got to be a serious work of the Holy Spirit. And so, um, but yes, people can fall away. That's a true thing. And absolutely. I mean, uh, you
0: know, it's it and and that that's kind of the key there. You just mentioned is like they, they can they can fall away, but it's not them that restore themselves. It says if it's speaking of God. It's indicative yeah. of saying like, if I, not me, but God, like graft them in. If I cut them off, if I graft them in. So like we might not be able to, if we if we fall away, if we're cut off, you know, because of our unbelieving faith in Yahweh, then we're cut off. But it's not impossible for God to graft us back in. It's not. Yeah. And, and, then, and then that comes in the concept of, well, are you saying that then if I don't come back, that then that's... Uh, God didn't, uh, God predestined me to to go to hell. Well, no, you had your opportunity, but it was your unbelieving faith in Yahweh that that cut you off, and yeah. so so you made that decision. God didn't make that for you. Just like we see in First Samuel twenty three, yeah. yeah. you're equipped with the information. It's what you did with it that gave you your outcome.
1: Exactly. So dead on. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I know we talked about a lot. And, oh, it was fun. It, I,
0: I I can't wait to hear you know what some people have to some feedback and, and, you know, if there's yeah. anything specifically that, you know, um, people are having questions on or, or want to go deeper on, or maybe unpack a little bit more. Yeah. I think it'd be good to circle back and, and, and do go it. on this again, you know? Yeah.
1: I would love, I would love that. This was fun. It this was is really the kind fun. of stuff I like to do. So. It's way cool. You can tell, you can oh, tell man. I was getting a little excited at times. I know, you know? it
0: was, it was great. I'll have to, i have to post edit some of the microphone, make sure we weren't clipping too much, you know, like, yeah. like, cause you know, we, we get passionate about things, but right. Uh, man, I really enjoyed it and I really want to have an opportunity to do it again soon. And, I'm and excited. uh, and then lastly, before we take off, um, just remind us again, you know, what, what was that
1: blog? I'll put in our link at the yeah. in bio here, it's, but it's bold And I, I, think I've got like five or six articles on That's there. That's great. <clears throat> and, and speaking of apologetics, I have a really great, it's a long post um but it's on what took place with Ravi zacharias that's been pretty devastating to a lot of people it was really hard on me Mm -hmm. uh i'm I'm the kind of guy when he died i cried like a baby because this guy uh helped build me up in the faith and to see what happened and so i reflected on that and it was really hard to do Mm -hmm. um but it's a really good piece, and it's very encouraging. I've got a lot of good feedback on that piece, mm-hmm. and it's something like on the moral failings of Robbie Zacharias. reflection. Yeah, reflections yeah. on the moral failings of Robbie Zacharias. and again, the blog is boldapologia.com. And Great. and so, if anyone's struggling with that who's been big in apologetics, give it a read. It's long, mm-hmm. um, but it's just reflections out of my own heart, and uh, I, I would love to hear back from people. Yeah. Hopefully, it helps some people
0: out. Great. And if anyone wants to reach out to you or, uh, can they comment on that blog or do you have of like course. an, like a email or something If yes. someone want to invite you to be on their, their own show
1: or wonderful. Otherwise. Yeah. I've, I've also got, um, my church email, which is yeah. Adam at Cisco s i s c o S I S C O.com. Adam at Cisco, Heights.com. Cisco Heights.com. Yeah. yeah. So great. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks Adam. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the next one. We'll have to try to Get this in a monthly rotation, you know, and like at least get a get I'm one in. locked in. So, yeah. way cool. And I, I got the, an, another guest. I'll be coming on um sometime next week or, or the following week, and and on a, a helping me. He's a he was a bishop and uh and a member of the Mormon Church for thirty years. Wow, and that's going to be a fun one to listen. to. It is fun, and and he he um through theological and spiritual revelation um found out that's not really the path that he needs to be on, you know, and and understanding the difference between the Jesus of the Bible, you know, and the Jesus of the, of the Mormon church. And it's just super powerful because I'm excited to have him on to help us with that apologetic question of compare and contrast Christianity, Christianity, Mormonism. And even furthermore, the more difficult, like bold statement of is Mormonism, a cult, you know? And so it's like, so I'm looking forward to that one. He's going to be my next guest on, um, and, and that's going to be pretty amazing. Cool. He, and yeah. he's, he's spirit filled, he's baptized. He Wonderful. is like, you know, tongue talking, praying the Holy ghost, like, like, so it's exciting to see that with an honoring perspective that doesn't just come and like tear up the Mormon church, you know, that's not what I want to do, but like, I want, because they have so much that they have, uh, going so well in some capacities, yeah. you know, that I wish our, which the church a whole, as a whole, could carry some of the missional emphasis they have, you know, the caring yeah. for one another they have, um, but then again, it goes back to this concept of perfectionism too, yeah. and and, and well, salvation by know, works, work,
1: works based salvation, and right, um, you know, just that that they're not preaching Christ, especially, right. yeah, um, which you know, great if we want it correct the Mormon doctrine and send them out because you're right. They, they are missional. Yeah. And there's some really nice Mormon people. Absolutely. You know, but absolutely. It's, it's, some, some yeah. of the nicest in fact,
0: yeah. but well, I'll save that for that. time. Yeah, I know. It's we good, could but... keep going.
1: Couldn't we? All right, Adam, yeah. well, thanks
0: for joining and, uh, my and, pleasure. And that's it. And if you guys want, it'd be great if you leave a uh, nice review on our podcast, feel free to subscribe and we'll be looking for more content coming out soon. And thanks for listening today. Awesome. See ya. Mm -hmm. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like more information about the show, Kevin's work, or you have questions or would like to be a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me directly on my Instagram at kevin.scott.johnson. I look forward to hearing from you. God bless.